Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much, Sally, for leading us tonight and taking us through that great psalm. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, or you'd like to grab one from the pew, uh, please turn uh, with me to Acts chapter 1. It's uh, page 1092 if you're using one of the red pew Bibles. Uh, today, after kind of Christmas and Advent and eight women and a baby, we're returning to our series uh, on forced rhythms, looking at the importance and the practice of the spiritual disciplines of Christian faith and discipleship. And from September to November, we considered these uh, 13, uh, worship and Sabbath, etc., right through to gratitude and stewardship were the last two we looked at. And, and today, both this morning and this evening, we're thinking about prayer. Uh, here's what Richard Foster says about this practice in, in his classic book, which I'm sure lots of us have read, uh, Celebration of Discipline. Here, here's what he says about prayer. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is most central because it ushers us into perpetual <coughs> communion with the Father. Of all the disciplines, this one, according to Richard Foster, is most central. And so maybe, as I said this morning, it's somewhat surprising that it's taken us so long to kind of get to this one. Maybe we should have started there, but we're here now. And if you weren't out this morning, how many, just a matter of interest, how many people were not here this morning? If you could stick your hand in there. Okay, that's lots. So here goes. Let me quickly summarize what I shared. If you were here, you can kind of do what Sally said. He was trying not to help you to do. So you can go for a sleep for the next few minutes if you were here. But here we go. This is a kind of brief summary. Prayer is not an exercise. It is the life, according to Oswald Chambers. And I didn't actually say that this morning. But, but that's, that, that's his perspective on it. Prayer is the oxygen of the soul. It is the lifeblood of each and every Christian. It's the lifeblood of the church. And, and I don't think there's any of us, there's any believer who would really argue with that or who would suggest that prayer is not vital, that it's not an essential aspect of our faith and our life and our growth and maturity as Christians. But although that is widely accepted, and recognized and believed, the reality is, and I said this morning, the reality is that most of us don't pray as much as we think we, we should. And more and more surveys seem to reveal that less and less Christians have a sustained time of prayer on a daily basis. There appears to be this widening gap between what we believe, because we really do passionately believe, I'll guarantee all of us, we all passionately believe that prayer is important, but there seems to be this widening gap between what we believe and how we behave. And it's a kind of contradictory gap when it comes to this discipline. And, and the question is, why is that? Why? Well, I suggested three or four reasons, but before we name those, let's go back to our four main reasons for doing spiritual disciplines. Here's the four reasons we practice them. The first is for godliness. Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself, Timothy. Why? For the purpose of godliness. Train yourself to be godly. And so we do spiritual disciplines to be godly. We do them for intimacy. We do them to nurture our relationship with our Father. We do them because Jesus did them. And we do them because they guard our hearts. Four major reasons to do spiritual disciplines, but four 
really important reasons to pray and why we must pray. And this morning, we highlighted the practice of prayer in the life of Jesus and just how it featured so prominently. Plus, we emphasized the instructions of the New Testament to all Christians that we are to pray constantly, that we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to pray about absolutely everything, that we are to be devoted to prayer, something I'm going to tease out in a moment. But but although all that is true, why does it seem that many Christians don't really pray on a consistent, constant basis? Yes, sentences here and there, arrow prayers, yes, but why is there not this daily, sustained, regular time of prayer with our Father? Well, the the three reasons we reflected on this morning, maybe four, was first of all, is, is it because of a lack of heart? For whatever reason, if we're honest, our hearts just aren't in it anymore. Or lack of discipline, we don't actually plan it. A number of people spoke to me this morning after the service and they said, you know something, David, that, that, that has been the story of my life. If I'm really honest, I know that unless I plan it, unless I make time for it, unless I give time to it, unless I schedule it in, I will not have a regular time of prayer with my father. And so when we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Second reason is lack of of belief. We're not always sure that our prayers make a difference or that anything really happens as a result of our praying. And then fourthly or thirdly, lack of felt present. We just don't always feel God is close enough to talk to. So what do we do or what should we do? Well, we like the disciples are in constant need of saying to Jesus, Jesus, we need you to to teach us how to pray. We We need to learn how to pray. And I finished this morning by suggesting two key ways that we learn to pray by praying. It's really as simple as that. Plus, we learn to pray by daily reading and meditating on Scripture because prayer is an interactive conversation. It is a dialogue, and therefore we need to listen to God. We need to meditate on His Word. And the way God speaks to us is through His Word. We need to meditate on God's Word and chew it over and regurgitate it and listen to what He sent us and then use that as fuel and as a catalyst for our conversation with Him. So most of what I, uh, that, that's it, you can wake up again, those who are here this morning. Uh, most of what I shared this morning was about and was around personal prayer, prayer in our own individual lives. But tonight I want to pick up on the discipline, and, and this is also a discipline, but I want to tonight pick up on the discipline of corporate prayer, this idea of praying with others. Now, I did mention this this morning, I did touch on it but tonight I want to dig a bit deeper into it, which takes us to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1, and then one incredibly well-known verse from the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. Just to set the scene for you before we stand and read, Jesus has told his disciples that in a matter of days, they're going to experience something extraordinary. This is one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples. In a matter of days... Something incredible is going to happen to you guys. They're going to be powerfully, you are going to be powerfully baptized with and in the Holy Spirit. And as a result of being powerfully baptized in and with the Holy Spirit, you will be my local, global, and international witnesses. And then Jesus leaves them 
I mean, he dramatically leaves them. He ascends into heaven before their very eyes. And then we read this. So please, let's stand together for the public reading of God's word. This is starting at verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let me read verse 14 again. I know it may be slightly different than the translation you're using. I'm using the ESV. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Flick over to Acts chapter two and look at verse 42, very familiar verse. The Holy Spirit has now come. The disciples have witnessed. Peter in particular has stood up on this so-called day of Pentecost and said some amazing things. And the church has been ignited. It has been established. And then we read this, verse 42. And they, and when it says they, that is the approximately 3,000 plus new believers. It says they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer or to the prayers. Grab a seat. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on corporate prayer. And in some ways, I'd love to kind of get you to turn I'm not going to do this, don't worry. I'd love to get you to turn around to the person and just, just share your thoughts or your experiences on corporate prayer. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Or more importantly, I don't know what your practice is concerning corporate prayer. I, I did make the point this morning, and honestly, this, what I'm about to say tonight, this, this is not about getting at anyone. This is not about having a go. This is not about sending any of us on a guilt trip. I said this morning, it's not my place, and even if I did do that, it achieves nothing. But the fact is, in, in many, many churches, including this one, the corporate prayer meeting is one of the least attended. And increasingly least attended church gatherings and meetings in its program. It's under pressure, it would seem. Fewer and fewer people join with others on a regular basis for the specific intention of praying together. And so it's a dying practice. You talk to so many church leaders in so many situations and this is what is said time and time again, that in com compared to the number of people who may be coming on a Sunday morning, Sunday morning, evening, the number of people who gather for corporate prayer is a fraction. It's, it's a lost habit. And yet when we go back to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, we discover that, that this group prayer, this assembled prayer, corporate prayer is a central focus in practice. And so if you read a number of, of Bible commentaries on the book of Acts, many of them start here in chapter 1 by saying they stress the point that the Christian church was in fact born not in and out of a preaching service, but was born in and out of a prayer meeting. That's what we just read together from Acts 1. 
And in that famous verse in, in, in Acts 2, we read how the first dynamic church in Jerusalem, which grew overnight, it centered itself. It centered itself around four things, one of which was prayer, and specifically this idea of corporate prayer. I mean, the literal reading of that phrase, and I know I have done that tonight in reading it this particular way, but the literal reading of that phrase, and I said this this morning, is they devoted themselves not just to prayer, but to the prayers. This idea of gathering with one another to pray, which in that culture and context happened three times a day. So they gathered together at the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And as you, as you read through the book of Acts, you find that this was, and this was to become a key characteristic of their faith and practice. There are at least, and, and this is just a conservative estimate, but there are at least 14 examples of corporate prayer in Acts as the church got on their way. The witness of Acts reveals the primacy and the priority of corporate prayer in the early church. Let me just give you a few more examples in addition to the two from Acts 1 and Acts 2. But in Acts 4, for example, we read how in response to the challenges they were facing, it says they raised their voices together. They came together in prayer. In chapter 6, we read how the apostles recognized the need for them to be praying together, to gather together to prayer. And so they appointed people to look after and to minister to the widows in order that they could spend more time praying corporately, praying together, praying with one another. In chapter 12, we read how many people had gathered together and were praying whenever Peter was released from prison. That's where he found the church, at prayer, praying together, praying with one another, assembled, crying out to God. Chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out from what appears to be a corporate prayer gathering that is mixed with fasting as well. And one of the things that some people have, have said as they've thought about this is they've queried, well, well, look, okay, maybe, but why isn't there an explicit? Why isn't there a specific mandate? Why isn't there a, a, an actual verse that actually instructs corporate prayer? Something very straightforward, something black and white. Well, many believe there, there doesn't need to be because it is the obvious witness of Scripture that as you read about the establishment of the church in Acts, you can't get away from the fact that corporate prayer and praying together was an essential element and component and part of their lives. There doesn't need to be an, an explicit instruction because it was just the way they organized themselves. It is the way they were formed that it was part and parcel of who they were. Someone has said that, that prayer meetings were the arteries of the early church. Through them, through these corporate gatherings, life-sustaining power was derived. And a church is never more like the New Testament church than when it's praying together. You know, often one of the things you hear people say is, we long to be a New Testament church. Never quite sure what that really means. What does it mean we long to be a New Testament church? Well, one of the things that identifies a New Testament church is a church that prays together. The spiritual discipline of private prayer is so important. That's what we were stressing this morning. But let's also recognize that corporate prayer is also vital for the life of the body. And if this discipline has kind of gone walkabouts in your life, 
or if it hasn't really featured at all. Can I encourage you in this new year to kind of make joining with others for prayer? And it doesn't just happen that once or a fortnight when we gather here. It happens at other times, I know, and in other ways. But if you're not gathering with others to pray together, could I, could I encourage or suggest you do make this a priority in 2019? Let, let me give you another strong biblical basis for corporate prayer. And, and this takes us back to the ultimate and prime example, back, back to Jesus. And it's something we've drawn attention to a number of times. And I love the fact that we've actually wandered into this tonight already in what Sally has led us in. You see, whenever the disciples did come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we, we need you to teach us to pray, he gave them a blueprint. He gave them a model. And it's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But as we all know, it's, it, it really should be the disciples' prayer because it was for them to use and pray. And we read it in Matthew 5, and we read a version of it in Luke 11. And many of us can quote it, and I know Sally had the words of it on the screen, and here it is again. But one of the really important aspects of this prayer, and, and you know what I'm going to say, many of you, it's, it's the communal dimension of it, which is often missed. But what it says is, Our Father in heaven, Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And the, and the point is that in providing a pattern for prayer, Jesus puts it in a form that commends it for corporate use. Of course we can pray this prayer by ourselves, but it's meant to be prayed together. It's meant to be done with others. So the question then is, as we think about these various reasons, why corporate prayer is such a biblical practice? Why then are corporate prayer meetings in the 21st century, why are they so neglected or avoided or just not on the radar? Well, possibly lots of reasons. And I've been, I've been kind of trying to think, well, what are the reasons? Let's, let's be honest about this. One of which could simply be, well, the time they happen, so for example, 8 p.m. every other Wednesday night in our program just doesn't work. Family commitments, work commitments, just too busy, it just doesn't work, and that, that's fair enough. Maybe the style of it doesn't appeal. Or we don't actually really know what happens and we're scared of finding out. Or we're scared that if we come along to a corporate prayer meeting, is there an expectation that I'm going to have to pray out loud? And so, so fear kind of kicks in. And then it whistles. like. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe at a deeper level, culture has affected us more than we realize. I came across this really interesting quote during the week. Many of us, whether we're boomers or busters, Gen Xers or millennials, have grown up feeling that prayer is intensely personal and private because our culture privatizes the spiritual. And so praying with others jars deep down, jars with our culture, challenges this individualistic mindset that, that many of us have. And it's just because we are products of our environment, we're part of our culture. In, in this little book here, uh, it's a nine marks book by the guy whose surname I can't pronounce. It's called Prayer, How Prayer Together Shapes the Church. And, and this, is, this is what he says in this. 
Prayer was never meant to be a merely personal exercise with personal benefits, but a discipline that reminds us how we're personally responsible for others. This means that every time we pray, we should actually reject an individualistic mindset. We're not just individuals in relationship with God. We're part of a community of people who have the same access to God. And so there could be any number of reasons why we don't prioritize or why we don't engage in corporate prayer. But let me give you a number of benefits or reasons why maybe we should. And these are, these are in addition to the strong biblical basis that I hope I've given for it. And, and in some ways, I'm kind of like almost loath to go any further than that strong biblical basis for it. Because we, we, we are not just Bible-believing Christians, and yes, we do want to be that, but we want to be Bible-practicing Christians, don't we? We, wanna just, we don't want to just hear God's Word, we want to do God's Word. And so in some ways, when it comes to this idea of prayer, specifically, generally, privately, individually, and prayer corporately, kind of all I want to go is say, God, what do you say to us through your word on this issue? But let me give you another few reasons why praying together is, is worth considering. Praying together has a tendency to draw people closer. Why? Because as we share and as we support one another in prayer, as we share our burdens, as we pray for one another, it naturally has the tendency to draw us closer and unite us. And that kind of is another reason because praying together visibly unites us, and when we are united, God is glorified. And so it unites us as we share our common faith, and it unites us as a church as we pray for our church with common concerns as we pray for our missionary family, which is specifically what Alison's going to be leading us and doing on Wednesday night as we come together. As we pray for our church ministries, as we pray for our young people and, and one another, it unites us. And where there is unity, God is glorified. Praying together connects people in this unique bond of fellowship that we'll be thinking about next Sunday night. As we pray together, more prayers are collectively prayed. We join with one another in praying. As someone leads us in prayer, we echo this prayer. And so we say, and many of us do say at the end of our prayer, amen, Lord, so be it. We're joining together. We're uniting our voices together and crying out to God. Another reason is because each of us has a unique and a personal and an individual way of praying that when we pray together, it brings new and different voices and perspectives to a particular need and situation. Praying together reminds us, you know, we're part of something bigger. It's not just me and God. We're part of something big. We're part of a family. We're part of a greater purpose. And corporate prayer opens our hearts and our needs to one another. It informs and fuels our personal praying. So we hear about one another. We hear about the concerns we have as a church and for our missionary family or whatever and for the Gilkinses as they head off tomorrow. And we hear that and we take it away and it fuels our own personal private prayers. And sometimes it even reminds us, do you know something? I may be the answer to that prayer. Those are just some of the benefits. Spurgeon said, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. 
Do you know, we as a church, Windsor Baptist, just like any church, we desperately need God. Desperately. We need God to lead us. We need God to guide us. We need God to be at the center and at the core of all we do. And therefore, the need to come together to acknowledge his presence and to talk to him is huge. We need to pray, and we must pray so that we do not become lazy. But let me kind of close, not just tonight, but, but today, by drawing attention to a key word. And it was a key word that appeared in the two texts that we stood and read together. Because the thing about prayer, whether it's personal prayer or whether it's corporate prayer, is that it's a matter of the heart. It, it really is a matter of the heart. And the word I want us to take away and mull over and chew over and reflect on as you leave here tonight is this word, it's devotion. Acts 1.14 says, as we read, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. And devotion, it's a heart word. And in the original, as I understand it, it implies that these Christians were diligent in their pursuit of prayer. It communicates that they had a, they had a mind to do it. This was not something they were forced to do. This was something they wanted to do. They were dedicated to it. That's what it means. They were dedicated. They had a strong affection for it because they knew how important this was. It's the same word that appears in Colossians 4 where Paul instructs all Christians to devote yourselves to prayer. It's also the same word that appears in Romans 12 when we read how we should be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer, five out of the 10 times that this particular word appears in the New Testament, it is applied to prayer. And that is my prayer out of today, out of this morning, out of this evening, that the practice of this discipline will come from our hearts. And so the question I have at the kind of end of today is, are you and I devoted to prayer? Do we have a strong affection for it? Are we dedicated to it? Are we going to renew our commitment to personal and corporate prayer in 2019? To be devoted to something, as I say, comes from the heart, but it also engages the mind because we partly choose what we commit ourselves to, don't we? What am I going to prioritize tomorrow? That's a choice I make. What am I going to invest in tomorrow? What am I going to be dedicated to tomorrow and this week? And so we're back to something we say time and time again. It boils down to a choice that I have to make. It's a choice that I make before God, before his word. And then it requires discipline to follow through on it and to practice it. And so let me close with another quote. It's been quite a few this evening. Spirituality without discipline moves in hapless fits and starts. It is sporadic, dependent on fluctuating feelings and external circumstances. It requires little to no effort, but also produces little to no sustained growth, and thus little or no fruit. I want to substitute the word prayer for the word spirituality. Prayer 
without discipline moves in hapless fits and starts. It's sporadic. It does depend on fluctuating feelings and external circumstances. And it requires little or no effort. But it produces little or no sustained growth. And thus, little fruit. May the spiritual disciplines, the unforced rhythms of personal and corporate prayer be at large in our lives in this new year. And so as I I said this morning, and maybe it's more pertinent tonight, one tangible response to today or to this evening is to come on Wednesday night if you're able, if you can, and join with others as Alison leads us in praying beyond ourselves. You're invited for one hour, eight o'clock.